0: Well, hey church, it's certainly great to be with you even in this digital medium today and it is my privilege to be preaching today and I'm going to reiterate something I sort of alluded to last time I spoke and, and that is that as we are going through the Gospels and we're looking at the life of Jesus, it's important to know that Jesus is God. Jesus himself said it in John 10:30. He said, I and the Father are one. In John 14, 9, he says, Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, refers to Christ, who is the image of God. Colossians 1:15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. and the scripture from Hebrews that I used last time, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus has always revealed the heart of God. Of God, but also it's important that we remember that God is unchanging. Malachi three six says, "I, the Lord, do not change." Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Jesus equals God, equals the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you find something in Scripture that seems to contradict that on the surface, then it requires further examination. For example, there might be an Old Testament passage or even the book of Revelation where it appears that God or Jesus may be vengeful or angry. Well, that requires further examination, perhaps even an examination of how you read and interpret Scripture because it is not what we see in Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Otherwise, if you don't take that position, you have to reconcile that God does change. And I'm not sure if that's okay. Or that some of the passages in the Old Testament are okay. For example, believing, that means that we would be questioning the morality of God. and That's something I'm not interested in doing. So, we can look at things in one of those three ways. It's either that we can question God's morals or that God changes, or we re-examine how we look at certain scriptures. And the scripture I'm gonna read for you today um, is a, a, a fantastic passage that I believe fully has always been the heart of God and always will be. My challenge for you today, or one of them, is that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about humanity. He actually came to change humanity's mind about God. And so with that, I'm going to introduce the passage I'm preaching from John 8, verses 1 to 11. This is the famous passage about the woman caught in adultery, or as it is officially known as the Pericope Adulterae, I practiced saying that. So this passage passage very nearly didn't make it into the Bible. There are 1,495 Greek manuscripts uh, that include the passage or some of it, but there are 267 that don't. And these 267 are widely acknowledged as being more reliable passages. However, there are early church fathers, including Augustine, who refer to it. There are some early fathers, And commentators who believe that this text was removed from early manuscripts not because of its alleged inauthenticity but more because people simply couldn't handle it and that's why it was removed that is actually my position too but here is something uh, that Augustine actually said about this passage he said certain persons of little faith or rather enemies of the true faith fearing I suppose lest their wives should be given impunity in sinning, removed from their manuscripts the Lord's act of forgiveness toward the adulteress, as if he who had said sin no more had granted permission to sin. Wow. Certain persons of little faith or enemies of the true faith. So I take the position that this is inspired scripture. It certainly is not inconsistent with the Gospels. Brian Simmons, who is the the lead translator of the Passion Translation, he, in talking about this passage, says, God's grace always seems to startle the religious, and isn't that true? So, I'm going to read, before I get into the Scripture, I'm going to read from a a book. I'm going to read the opening sentence of one of my favourite books. There's been a couple of books aside from the Bible that have radically altered my life. Uh, The first being What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, the second being Culture of Honor by Danny Silk, and this third book by one of my heroes, Carlos Rodriguez. The book is called Drop the Stones, and this book, I think this opening sentence of this book actually is the great opening to this passage I'm going to read out. I couldn't have done this better myself. It's very simple, but he says this, this is all about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery us the religious men that wanted to kill her us and the Christ who saved her us and with that let's read from John 8 verses 1 to 11 Jesus walked up the mount of olives near the city where he spent the night Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up, looked at them and said, The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. He could have said that, honestly, he could have. If this story happened in today's time, I'm sure there would be many whose response would probably be to say something similar. Got a problem? Well, what does the Bible say? Let's have a look. What does the Bible say? Leviticus 20 verse 10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbour, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Done. Case closed. Woman dies. Man dies too. Interesting that in the passage I'm reading from today, he is nowhere to be found. But the point being that this response, what does the Bible say, might be the heart of the religious, but thankfully it is not the heart of God. Using Bible verses when you're judging somebody does does not mean you are being Christ-like. Let me say that again. Using a Bible verse when you're judging somebody does not mean you are being Christ-like. There is a difference and a distinction, I believe, between being biblical and being Christ-like. Stoning this woman to death was biblical. Saving her life was Christ-like. I think it's time we change our language from what does the Bible say to what does Jesus say or what's biblical to what's christ-like please don't assume that i have a low view of scripture in saying this my answer to that is that i have a high view of christ let us continue with our passage with what jesus did in that moment so jesus stood up and looked at them and said let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire Throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some words in the dust. I get the feeling that some Christians would have a real problem with Jesus sometimes. Danny Silk, I love how he refers to it. He imagines that people would say that Jesus just released a spirit of adultery over the city. Or Jesus is soft on crime. Maybe there are some who take that same position. Interesting that Jesus writes in the dirt as well. It doesn't say in John's Gospel what he wrote. We can only only guess at what he wrote. But I I do want to remind you that God has used his finger to write before. The Ten Commandments is an example there. But in Jeremiah 17.13, we have this very interesting verse. It says, those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Is that a prophecy about what happened in this moment? We don't know. We can guess. But if what we do know, um, that the woman's accusers were guilty of having forsaken God, the fountain of living water, and yet they were so anxious to stone this woman to death. At the end of the day, we don't know what Jesus wrote. Perhaps he wrote their names based on that scripture. Moving on. Upon hearing that, the woman's accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. She called him Lord. She knew who Jesus was. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on be free from a life of sin. Did she sin again? Who knows? We have absolutely no idea. Michelle and I have been watching with our family, actually with our kids, uh, this wonderful series uh, that is available online. It's called The Chosen. It is a eight episode series about the life of Jesus. It goes into backstories and it is mind blowing. You can get the app. I totally recommend it. Uh, It is a fantastic series. It's beautiful. But something we've noticed from watching that is that everyone who encounters Jesus leaves that moment transformed. So, whatever happened next to this woman, there is no doubt that this woman left this encounter uncondemned. And I believe, transformed. We know she was uncondemned. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. But I also believe she left transformed. There is so much in these 11 verses. On one hand, this passage is yet another example of Jesus standing against society's standards towards women. Note, he did this with every interaction with women, including Mary Magdalene, the first apostle that you heard Matt preach about last week, including the woman at the well or even the woman with the perfume. Something else, Jesus was not embarrassed to be seen with her. Her reputation did not bother him. Jesus honoured her. The potential negative impact on his own reputation did not bother him either. There is no doubt he would have embraced her in that moment. Another point to hear is I think this finally finishes the argument about God's thoughts on capital punishment. Jesus saved this woman's life from a capital punishment. Something else of interest, Jesus didn't immediately answer he did bend down and write in the ground, obviously with an intention, but he didn't immediately answer the question thrown at him. He didn't react. He responded, and there's a big difference. And Jesus responded with wisdom. Jesus knew the most powerful way to bring a change in a person's life was to love them. Once again, he modeled the process of belong first, believe second, and behave th- third. Jesus allowed that woman to feel that she belonged. And I'm sure next was her belief and finally after that, her behaviour. Finally, my question, who are you in this story? As I read out of Drop the Stones before, this story is about us in one of three levels. Which one are you? The Pharisee? Are you one of those who speak truth without grace? A religious bully? You know, I've been this person way too many times. If your preference would be that this woman was stoned or even condemned, then I think you need to examine your heart. We've got to stop judging people and preventing people basically from an encounter with Jesus that would ultimately lead to them entering the kingdom of heaven. Love this quote from Philip Yancey. He says, Jesus, Paul and John and James each stressed one principle above all others, love God and love your neighbour. By not listening, by judging, by speaking lofty words that don't translate into action, we deter a thirsty world from the living water that can truly satisfy. Church, it's time to stop being the Pharisee. Perhaps you're the woman in this story. And if that's the case, wherever you are watching, today could be the day that your life changes. Just like it did for this woman when she encountered the living God In the flesh I encourage you to turn your face toward Jesus and if you are longing to meet with Jesus and have your life transformed the way it has transformed millions and millions of people around the world then I encourage you to reach out and respond to this church to life church by contacting the office by looking us up online on our website or our Facebook page if you're not in the area, if you're not from Shepherd and Marubna, uh, please make contact with any church if you need to get yourself right with Jesus. Or perhaps you are Jesus in this story. We are called to follow Jesus and we are called to model our response on Him. Many are quick to jump to the very last part of this story. Go and sin no more. See, look, Jesus even said it. Go and sin no more. They often forget a few things, and I'll finish here. Yes, Jesus said, go and sin no more. But that was after he saved a woman from an oppressive system. It was also after calling out the hypocrisy of its religious leaders. It was after telling her, I don't condemn you. Dear church, let's try this sequence. Thank you.